Welcome to Brookfield Perspectives, a podcast from Brookfield that explores how the firm invests in the backbone of the global economy. What do we mean by that? The things that quietly enable your everyday life, like solar panels, warehouses, shipping containers, and data centers. Investing in these critical assets helps support and accelerate the pace of progress in businesses and communities around the world. I'm Lauren Steffi, and I've been writing about energy and investing for the better part of three decades. I'll be your guide as we meet the business leaders at one of the world's largest alternative asset managers. We'll talk about how to spot trends early, what it takes to turn contrarian ideas into opportunities, and how to uncover the next great company. And we'll go on-site where the rubber meets the road at innovative companies and projects around the globe. Today, we're kicking off a new arc of the series, which covers digitalization and how it's touching different sectors of the economy. Data is the fastest growing commodity in the world, and it's showing no signs of slowing down. We're in the midst of an exponential surge in data storage and processing requirements from enterprises that are migrating workloads and applications from on-premises to the cloud. That, plus the widespread adoption of new use cases such as 5G technology and generative AI, will require investment and expertise to support, upgrade, reinforce, and redesign the connectivity backbone of the future. My guests today are Uday Mathialigan, Managing Director and CEO of Brookfield's Global Data Center Group, and Olivier Micheli, the CEO of Data4, a major European operator and investor in the data center market. Uday is based in Sydney, Australia, and Olivier sits in Paris, but we were lucky enough to get them in the same room for this conversation. I kicked off the discussion by asking Uday and Olivier to introduce themselves and give us some more background on their roles. My name is Uday Mathialigan. I'm the CEO of Brookfield's global data center platform. We have six data center companies at the moment globally. In addition, I also lead the investment activities for digital infrastructure across Asia Pacific that goes beyond data centers into telecom towers, fiber networks, and other types of digital infrastructure. My name is Olivier Michli. I'm the CEO of uh, Data4 which is one of the largest European platform. We have 33 data centers uh, spread across six markets. And personally, I'm uh, a French citizen living in Paris. I have 25 years experience, 15 in the telecommunication and 10 years in the data center industry. So let's talk a little bit about data infrastructure in general. What is it? How do you define it? And how is it different or similar to other infrastructure assets? Data infrastructure, the definition seems to be expanding over time, but at the basic level, the amount of data that we are consuming and using is just keeps doubling every 18 or 24 months, just depending on which consultant's report you believe. So data infrastructure is all the component parts that need to support the transport, storage, and processing of data. So think about day-to-day use of telephones, computers, streaming services. They all need to be dealt with by the underlying infrastructure. In investment terms, people increasingly talk about it under three categories, data centers, which are the critical nodes that host, store, and manage a lot of the data, physical networks, largely fiber these days that connect data centers, but also connect them to other critical parts of the telecommunications network and office buildings and 
those sorts of places. And then finally, wireless networks, like mobile networks. So I think it's quite a broad definition and it's essential and it's critical. Without that, digital data communications cannot happen. The digital infrastructure represent the backbone of the internet. Without digital infrastructure, internet would not work. Well, first, the internet seems very simple. You use Facebook, you plug in, in a few seconds, you have access to everything, and you can connect to thousands of people. But actually, behind it, it's super complex. The apps to be developed, the transmission, the storage, computes, all the exchange. This is a very basic question, but where does this data come from? Are we all creating data when we go on the internet and click on things or post things? We talk about the need for the data, but where does the data originate? Perhaps we should separate the personal area from the professional area. I would say in the personal sphere, the data that are being produced and used are more what I call recreational data around social media, around video, around cloud gaming. Where in the business, it's a little bit different. The data we are using and producing are related to the business applications that either the companies are developing or accessing to different apps available in the market. And just to give you a tangible example, a data for each data center has around 10,000 sensors. And those 10,000 sensors produce thousands of data. And we have developed our own AI systems to treat and use those data internally, for example, to improve our operations. When I reflect on types of infrastructure we own globally, increasingly we're using sensors and other electronic methods of measuring things to maintain the infrastructure, to upgrade the infrastructure. The data itself is producing more data and analysis, but it does lead to a tangible benefit though. The more data we have and the more quality analytics we have, it can reduce things like truck rolls to go visit a particular piece of infrastructure. So there's a net economic benefit coming out from it. But I think as you think about ways in which data can be used, it's an infinite set of possibilities, I guess, around improving process, infrastructure, and quality of business decisions. So the question is more how to access these digital infrastructure. Some companies, for example, want to own their digital infrastructure. Some others prefer, because it's complex, it's capital intensive, so they prefer to outsource and use third parties like system integrators or cloud operators. So actually at Data4, we are a data center investor and operator. Actually, our customers are the multinationals, the system integrators, and more and more, the cloud operators. Uday, again, data is this nebulous concept for a lot of people. Where does this data reside? We talked about data centers. Is that the primary location of it, or where does this live? That's exactly right. Increasingly, data that needs to be stored in data centers, it's often replicated across multiple data centers. It's not just in one physical place because of the criticality of data or the need for data to be very available close to where it's consumed or operated. So when you think about data centers, sometimes people may think about it as discrete pieces of infrastructure, but it's actually very connected infrastructure where data is moved around and replicated quite a bit. 
So, Olivia, if I want to get into the data storage business, what am I looking at? If I want to get into this world of data infrastructure, what special issues am I dealing with? What components am I looking for? That sort of thing. Well, data is the new fuel. It's super critical for the organizations. Without data, basically, your business doesn't grow and you are very limited. So the first element to check is the availability of the data. That's super critical. The second aspect is the security of the data. You don't want the data from your companies being accessed by people that should not access the data. And also you want to work with a partner who consumes less, who has done the lifecycle analysis of an industrial process to limit its impact on the environment. You want to work with someone who is using green energy. And so all these parameters, availability, security, and environmental impact is paramount in your key decision matrix. Let me just follow up on that for a second, because you mentioned energy, and that's something we've talked about in other segments of the podcast. How much energy consumption are we talking about here for a typical data center? In Paris, we have the largest campus across the continent, across Europe. We have 250 megawatts of power available. It represents twice the city of Bordeaux, where you drink this marvelous wine, which is 200,000 citizens, basically. So it's a quite big amount of power which is consumed by the data centers in general. It's around 2% roughly of the global energy consumptions. Wow. So it's significant then. I mean, that's why the green energy component is so important. Definitely. uh, It's very important. Uday, talk a little bit about the growth drivers here and what's driving this business. The short answer is just growth in data, but also it's a competitive weapon or competitive advantage for companies to be able to use the data that's available in their ecosystem to produce better outcomes, whether it's a better product or a better process or whatever. And so artificial intelligence particularly has changed the way in which data centers can be organized because a lot of companies, particularly the large cloud players who are some of the largest key entrants into this space, are able to develop an infrastructure system where they can have what they call large language modules, where basically data is being processed on an ongoing basis. It's a machine which is fed with more data, a lot more processing happens, which then creates more intelligence, which can then be fed closer to where the end user is through service nodes that are closer to the consumer. So to your question on what's driving growth, it's the application of data in multiple ways. And then you can also add a geographic overlay to it. There's a lot of advanced markets and tends to be in North America and parts of Europe initially, some cities in Asia Pacific, but that movie keeps playing out over time as these services get adopted. And of course, all the continents are not the same. Europe is different from Northern America, but still you see some similarities and basically they want to be as close as possible from the end users. They want to have the shortest latency, but also they need to fit with the local regulation. And as well, we should not forget the psychological aspect of the data. If you are a local firm in Spain, in Italy or in England, basically they want to have their data near their house. That's simple. And so the large cloud 
giants understood that and that's why they did a lot of developments in Europe, in Canada, in the US, in Japan, Korea and so on, again to address these issues. Now, you have some areas of Africa, for example, where some digital infrastructure and data centers have been developed. But let's be very clear, most of the African citizens are addressed as of Europe. If you look Marseille mainly, but also you can look at Greece and Italy, where you have content providers putting their own content and push this content through the submarine cables to the African citizens. Certainly one day they will cross the Mediterranean and will put more and more digital infrastructure and data centers in the African markets to be as near as possible from the African citizens. The way one goes about developing data centers and advanced developed markets compared to say developing markets can be a bit different. So at, at Brookfield, we've got a wide representation of markets. The data center businesses we own cover 15 countries and we have more than 50 data centers. And so a good data center developer and operator basically becomes an expert in solving a number of problems that's important, particularly for the hyperscale customers. So if you take, for example, India or South Korea, or if you look at the markets that Olivia operates in, and then the big ones in North America, they're all quite different. But the core is to be able to, to Olivia's point, you want to make sure these data centers are very well fiber connected, both internationally. So often they tend to be where submarine cables land to they are actually developed in a way power is a key point as we talked a bit earlier, so availability of power is very, very important. So being able to work with local power authorities to get power delivered in good quality and time, to have the construction done on time without compromising on safety, and increasingly the concept of making sure the carbon footprint, not just of operations, but in the way a data center is designed and put together is as good as it can be. So local knowledge is very, very important. And that is one of the reasons the Brookfield approach to developing a global portfolio of data centers has been very much focusing on regional specialists who are very, very good at what they do and have earned the respect of customers so that we can actually continue to repeat in the markets and regions where we're good at. You talked about the importance of energy, but we also mentioned how significant renewables are in this process. How does that affect on a regional basis, the sourcing of renewables, the availability, policies around it, that sort of thing? How much does that come into play? The availability of renewable power tends to vary across different markets. So our data set of companies are very alert to the possibility, to Olivia's point earlier, of greening the energy mix to the extent possible. But I think we're also subject to the development of green energy options in each of those markets. Regarding the power, the data for what we have done is we basically signed several power purchase agreements, PPAs, in the countries where we are operating. We want to have an impact in the countries where we are. So, for example, for the French operation and tomorrow for the Italian, Spanish, Polish, German operations, we will sign PPAs and engage the company for a very long period of time to consume solar source of power or wind farms, basically, to fit into our data centers. It's been said that data is the fastest growing commodity. How rapidly is this market growing? Only a few years ago, at least in my 
experience. Customers were signing up for 5 megawatts, 10 megawatts, and suddenly in the last 12, 18 months, it's moved up quite considerably. Maybe it's stimulated by AI. I don't know. Maybe there's other reasons. But suddenly, these customers are signing for 50 megawatts and above. So there's clearly an uptick. It feels like there's almost a three to five times growth in the volume of data center capacity that's being sought by customers. What are you seeing? And what's your recent experience? From our experience, and I can talk about Europe, everything is multiplied by 10. Everything. The level of demand is multiplied by 10. The level of investment is multiplied by 10. So the number of data centers we're building is increasing massively. We have more demand than the offer. And if we talk about numbers, I know it's a lot of zeros, I'm sorry, but this year, the world is going to produce in absolute value more than 100 zettabyte. And by the end of the decade, it will be more than 500 zettabyte, which is 500 thousands of billions of billions. So that's why I'm saying it. there are a lot of zeros. And behind these zeros, actually, you have millions of servers, actually, to compute and store those data. And from my perspective is why actually, why we are producing so much data. And one key element I think is the progress we have made in the technology and science. Cheap computing power is still increasing while actually the costs are being reduced uh, by 10 in the last two years. And at the same time, from a transmission perspective, all the copper pairs are replaced by fiber optic networks and also the 5G allows to have multiplied by 10 the access bandwidth for the same price. That's an interesting point that I wanted to follow up on earlier. If you don't have improving connectivity, none of this really works if you can't get everything talking to each other, right? Yeah. A data center which is not connected to the outside world has no reason to exist, for sure. So as would they say, connectivity is paramount because you need to exchange the data not with the neighbor, with everybody. And secondly, is the access to the grid, access to the power, because actually the data center is a perfect asset of the 21st century. It's 100% electrical. But if you don't have power, you don't have data center. Stepping back from that one more degree, on a regional basis, that's where grid stability also comes into play. And that's been a growing focus worldwide. So how do you identify the places that not only have the access and the power, but can make sure that it stays on? Grid stability is very, very important, Lauren. And as we look at our different markets, some markets, we can have reliable grid power, but not all of those do. And the way we approach it, and our, particularly our data center companies approach it, is to have deep local knowledge and then have very smart designs because redundancy and operational expertise to make sure power is continuous is paramount to our customers and to our very existence as data center operators. So there's always another two layers of protection in terms of on-premises generators or batteries or other forms that provide uninterrupted power supply. So I think there are other tools to manage this, but really good local knowledge on where to site these data centers, the types of arrangements to make with local providers, but then leaving nothing to chance, having a design that actually takes the local conditions into account is absolutely necessary. How do you take climate risk into account when you're citing data centers? Very, very seriously. First of all, 
data center, I told you, it's an electrical asset, let's say. Without electricity, no data center. And in general, when you mix water with electricity, it's not very good. So we do whatever we can to be far from the water. So we always install data centers in non-floating area. Very important. So that's quite easy. You can easily find areas where you're not impacted by that. After that, regarding hurricanes, basically we are assessing all these different environmental extreme risk to the design of our data centers. So for example, one year ago, we had a massive storm in Milan up into the data centers. In some of the areas of the data centers, some water went into without touching the server. So it was a no risk for our customers. But from there, we changed basically a little bit the design and reinforce our data centers. And we took from there to review all the different campuses to make sure that we would overcome such issues in the future. So we're learning by experience, but as well proactively, we take measures with our engineering companies to address such extreme weather periods. You mentioned that you want to be far away from the water, but at the same time, you need cooling capabilities for the data center. So is availability of water also an issue? Would extreme drought pose risks? That yes. First of all, in most of our data centers, we use the outside air to basically refresh the IT rooms. Secondly, we use water, but it's a closed loop within the data center. So I would say, of course, we use water in the data center to cool these assets, but we do it in a way where the water never come inside the IT room. So let me ask you both, this is the crystal ball question, where do you see this market being in three to five years? Olivia, maybe you start us off. Expanding, 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 by far. As I told you before, the demand is higher than the offer. We covered all the different growth drivers of the sector, digital transition, the cloud of everything, generative AI. And so therefore, the next years will be a strong expansion of digital infrastructure and a strong expansion of the data centers everywhere. The next five years is super exciting from a data perspective. I think we've just hit an inflection point. I mean, data has been growing strongly for the last 20 years, but I think something's just happened in the last year and a half where people have been talking about data as the fourth utility. But I think with the advent of AI, People need data, but the data itself seems to need more data. So you've got this almost exponential growth. And it clearly it needs to be moderated by what's commercially feasible and what's physically possible to be delivered. But I think we are looking at a period of very, very strong demand for digital infrastructure. This is not going to be contained to one region. This is the heartbeat of the world economy. So what's exciting from our perspective, wearing a Brookfield hat on, is identifying areas where we can be a very good owner-operator of these assets and investing very thoughtfully along that value chain in places where we can add value. And that to us is data centers, quality data center companies that can benefit from the growth, but also be very, very good partners to the hyperscale customers and cloud operators to making sure we've got good presence in the fiber system where we can be 
unique and different and having a good investment profile across wireless towers. At Brookfield, we currently own more than 200,000 towers spread across France, Germany, UK, Scandinavia, and India. We have more than 45,000 kilometers of fiber, and we have more than 50 data centers today across 15 plus countries. Just to add, the digital infrastructure, it's what I call a blue ocean, where basically you have a lot of opportunities. It's growing very fast. So that's really an asset where everybody wants to invest. However, it doesn't mean because it's a blue ocean that it's simple. And actually, you have a lot of barriers to entry. Obviously, it's super capital intensive. So you need a lot of cash to develop the business, but as well to maintain the business. You need to have a strong track record because before you start doing business with a big hyperscaler that are very demanding, they will need to trust you. In terms of challenges, the inflation is one point, the cost of capital with the interest rate we are increasing, the scarcity of resources, power, land. So it's quite complex actually to succeed in the digital infrastructure and the data center sectors. Uday, what was the thing that surprised you most about this business? I think the demand upshift in the last two years has completely surprised a lot of people, even in the industry. People have been there for a long period of time. But to Olivia's earlier point, I think it is not easy to solve this if you don't have the right combination of capital and capability. So I think what's going to be necessary over the next little while is the market will need to adjust. The, the industry has grown so fast. It hasn't given enough time for the expertise to develop at the same pace. We're going to go through a period where people are focused on creating the right capability and are able to invest and get the right expertise around the opportunities and companies that are good at creating capital solutions that scale. So you're talking about billions of dollars required to put the infrastructure to work here. It's exciting times ahead, but there's a lot of wood to chop here. And I think it's going to favor experts focused on the sector. I love using wood chopping as an analogy for data. That's an old world analogy for a new world situation. That's great. Olivia, what about you? What was the most surprising thing for you in the market? What surprised me, I would say, is the citizens. Because on one side, as I told you, they need data. They use more and more the internet and digital in general. But on the other side, they want less data centers and less cell towers. But what we need to explain to these guys, one can come without the other. Again, this is the backbone, the foundation of the internet. If you want to use digital, if you want to use internet, you need to have cell towers fiber optic networks and data centers. It's a long step ahead to explain to the government, to the citizen, but this is paramount. It reminds me a little bit of the energy business, right? Everybody wants cheap, abundant energy, but nobody wants to see oil wells or even wind farms in their backyard. Exactly, exactly. That's all for today's episode. Thanks to Uday and Olivier for sharing their perspectives. You can check out any of our other episodes about digitalization wherever you listen and stay tuned for more from Brookfield Perspectives.